You are listening to Redefining Rural, a podcast dedicated to celebrating, elevating, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado and beyond. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Welcome back to the Redefining Rural podcast. My name is Michelle Murphy, and I am joined gladfully today with by Daniil LaPlatte and Kirk Banghart, my partners in crime. Uh, we are super excited to bring you guys, we're sort of continuing on our journey to explore really exciting workforce development innovations around the state. This is hoping to inspire you all to um, apply for some of the grant funding coming from the Department of Education. We've got sort of, a, I think, a May, early May deadline for new projects. And there are amazing partners in the field uh, doing this work. And today we're going to talk about a partnership in southwestern Colorado. It is the Southwestern Colorado Education Collaborative. We have Jessica Morrison, who leads that work for the collaborative. We have Alana Roman, and I'm hoping I'm getting their names right, though they will correct me, from Fort Lewis College, who is their higher ed partner in the work. And then Chris Decay, superintendent in the Ignacio School District, uh, one of the uh, participating school districts in the work. So the intention is to give you a really a broad-based perspective about the different roles and how, how you all can get this done. So uh, Jessica, I'm gonna pass it off to you. Thanks so much for being here and sort of give us an overview of the work and what what, what you all are doing. Yeah, thank you for that, Michelle. So the collaborative, that's what we go, uh, our, our nickname, if you will, started actually uh, two, two and a half years ago by a bunch of leaders in the Southwest region that got together and said, how do we rethink providing resources to students in rural areas. Um, there's limited resources that students have access to out here. And then that's even more determined based off of the zip code that a student lives in. And so these leaders in higher ed and K-12 were really trying to think about innovative ways um, in order to be able to share resources so that all students had equitable access. And so they came up with an idea of collaborating collectively together to share resources, align K-12 higher ed in industry so that students had a more linear path into engaging in a career that they're invested in. Um, and then also just focusing on engaging stakeholders at every level, both on the higher ed side and K-12. And then we were um, the pandemic hit, which is obviously very unfortunate, and yet there was this opportunity that the governor provided a set of funding via a RISE grant and these leaders applied for the RISE grant and we were awarded the largest RISE grant in the state of Colorado, $3.6 million. And that funneled all of these ideas into action. And one of the other big pieces that's kind of really exciting about the vision of this work is that the leaders uh, understood that within each one of the K-12 higher ed communities, there's always competing interests. And so what they decided to do was found a nonprofit, which is the collaborative, to help continue to guide people with that North Star vision of allowing students to engage in work-based learning and career-connected opportunities that align in order to um, 
receive a livable wage job in a, in a career that they're invested in in the future, right? And so the reason why this nonprofit is so important is because it it's the glue. It's the glue for higher ed and K-12 in industry to do this really innovative work and help facilitate those collaboration conversations when sometimes there's competing interests. Um, the last piece that I'd like to say before I kick it off to um, my other colleagues that are here with us today is just the vision, the visionary piece that these leaders had to have MOUs established in place. Um, and that was uh, just amazing <laughs> for us because these MOUs aligned to, uh, to the boards of these different uh, entities. And so, for example, in the state of Colorado, we've seen a lot of turnover right now with administration. Um, specifically in school districts. And yet um, the work that we are doing, we are still continue, are continually able to do without interruption because those MOUs are in place. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to kick it over to Elena and Chris to talk about a little bit of the work from the two ends um, that we have going on. That's really exciting, but just wanted to give you all that big overview of what we're all about. I just want to jump in. The MOU concept is really interesting in light of the high turnover. I think it's distinguishable from some of the different um, structures that we've heard and, or heard about in this context. And I, it, I really appreciate your comments around how that helps keep the work moving forward because it creates like sort of this straw man who is just their sole purpose is to keep everybody on on track and um, and the commitments to survive existing boards and or administrators, which fortunately or unfortunately we're seeing so much turnover. So that that's really interesting mm -hmm. uh, approach. Yeah. Uh, apologies, Alana. Send that over to you now. Um, yeah, and I actually am happy to jump in from the higher ed perspective. Um, I do just want to note, I come from a really interesting, um, it was a very interesting path of how I came to Fort Lewis College. I actually worked for a really incredible nonprofit, Lira Colorado, on the Front Range, and their executive director, their president and executive director is Mary Sewell, and she is like a very staunch believer in nonprofit governance Hence, um, I think really helped to generate those conversations around getting MOUs in place. Like that is very much something she saw was very important um, for the long-term sustainability and viability of this work. Um, but I also bring that up because Lyra has also founded a model called Climatarium. And when these conversations were happening back in really 2019, it's crazy to think, I mean, with the pandemic, it just seems like we missed a few years, but um, these conversations started happening, the ones that Jess was referring to, and there was a, uh, a very strong interest to kind of align some of Climatarium's models in the Southwest through a broader like environmental science lens, um, which has been a really, um, so that's really what I led. And then now that I'm at Fort Lewis College, like I've continued to help steward that pathway, which we call the environmental pathway. And we're really, I mean, I think the really exciting part is that Fort Lewis is really trying to meet the needs of the community. So when we hear, you know, we need to be focused on subjects such as agriculture and what do farming practices look like in Southwest Colorado and water quality um, and environmental sciences, like just trying to, to really meet the needs of Southwest Colorado, which might look differently from the needs in the front range 
or in Northwest Colorado. And I think that is just one of the really exciting pieces about what the collaborative is doing is like under Jess's leadership, it's really working with, you know, this collaborative is two institutions of higher ed and it's five school districts and hopefully growing. And she's really convening folks to say like, what do you need and how can we support and do this in a collaborative approach? Um, so it's just been really exciting, fun, challenging, you know, innovative work, all of the above every day. <laughs> You said two higher ed partners. How come two and who is the other? Yeah, so um, there's the two is, so it's Fort Lewis College and Pueblo Community College. Um, and Jess, I'll let you take this answer. Yeah, thanks. And so um, a big piece, so why two? Those are our two higher ed institutions within our region. Um, Fort Lewis College is a four-year. Uh, Pueblo Community College is a two-year, and as we know, uh, pathways really work well when there's a lot of on and off ramps um, for students that keep doors open, right? And so it really feels like in order to have a full picture of resources for students to be able to engage in, there is opportunities within the two-year institutions, such as certifications, associates degrees, um, but then there's also the opportunity within the four-year institution, because ideally a student will be a lifelong learner within their career path anyway. And so if we can align the stackability of courses from K-12 into higher ed in that two-year and four-year, then the student is just continuing to be able to engage in a career that they love and continue to open up doors. Um, so thank you for that, that question, Michelle. Um, it is so important that we have both of our higher ed partners at the table uh, doing this work and talking with our K-12, which um, Chris can talk a little bit more about his experience from the K-12 side. Okay. So um, my experience, so I waded into the Southwest Collaborative uh, about a year ago. Um, and so at that point, we had two pathways. One was in building trades um, and the other was in environmental science. Uh, so the one that I can speak to the most about is the building trades. Uh, so what that turned into is um, some mobile uh, classroom units uh, that the four districts involved the five districts involved share as they they um, it's a pretty a wide area from Silverton uh, to Durango, Bayfield, Pagosa and Ignacio. So there's a lot of travel. Um, and so this exchange in machinery uh, that would really help uh, expose students to the building trades so that we can get them on that pathway, um, here in Ignacio, we have a fairly large percentage that they're not really geared towards college. So uh, that had high appeal to me as a superintendent. Uh, those machines have produced some phenomenal work. Um, our, our woodshop teacher, who is really not uh, experienced in the building trades part of a, being a woodshop teacher, uh, just recently has completed uh, constructing buildings uh, small little kind of uh, playhouses for our elementary school, uh, as well as doing word magnets uh, that came from 
machinery that we're, that uh, the elementary teachers are going to use, uh, signs for both awards and to be posted around the school district. So there's a lot of, we're already seeing some result. Um, and it was just this year that we started to get some of the equipment. I really like the aspect around the building trades of this collaboration uh, between the five woodshop teachers has truly been amazing. Uh, they, they align with each other to the standards. So within our district, we only have one as well as all the neighboring districts. So that really has been a great learning experience for our woodshop teacher who brings a, a particularly great skill set to the other woodshop teachers. So that alignment across the whole region has, has really been fascinating to watch. Um, the other piece I liked about the collaborative and the, and the other pathway was the environmental science, and that is having the ability to discuss what the problems were and, and how we might modify it moving forward so that we can increase the number of kids in that pathway. Uh, so we weren't you know, kind of etched down this and we can't move it. Uh, there's been great flexibility in a steering committee set up where we all get to give input, which I found very valuable. Uh, the other thing that I really like is that we are in the process of adding two new pathways uh, with those two and the two new pathways, um, uh, grow your own uh, for, for teachers, uh, which is really big for rural schools. Um, we know that teachers that grow up in this area, the likelihood of them sticking uh, are a lot better. So that was one of the new pathways that we're in progress with. And the last one is around health careers, uh, which in, in, in our area, you know, that there's always a need for that. Uh, so, so those are the, as we move forward, those are the things that we're looking towards. And I don't want to steal Jess's thunder, but I'm also excited that, um, that four of the neighboring districts, uh, have taken note of what's going on and, and they might, uh, come into the Southwest Collaborative as partners. Um, uh, the collaboration piece has, has truly been sensational. Um, so I think, uh, that pretty much covers my bit. Hope I didn't talk too long. Thank you for listening. It's such a good bit, Chris. <laughs> um, oh, go ahead, Jess. I was going to say, just um, Chris, thank you so much on just all of those those pieces that are on the ground. Two pieces that I wanted to talk about: uh, infrastructure rise, and then Elena. I'm sure you can expand on this is one, um, we share resources in a bunch of different ways and, and Chris highlighted on that, right? So one, we share capital resources, um, capital equipment that aligns within uh, each of our pathways. And Elena can talk a little bit about what that looks like on the environmental side as well. Um, we inform, we are informed by that equipment though through industry. And so it's almost like that Trinity, right? We have K-12, we have higher ed, but we also have industry. And sometimes we hear from industry that, hey, students are coming out and they're not learning um, the skills that we actually need in order for them to do the job. And so industry sits at our table too, to inform K-12 and higher ed this is actually the equipment that would be useful for students to train on if they want to go into 
a, a specific building trades. And so, you know, we have that machining and fabrication mobile learning lab that's currently in Ignacio. They're just doing wonderful things there. And originally, I'll tell you, I was pretty ignorant at first in thinking, this is a this is a cool lift. We're giving equipment for the 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 uh, building trades teacher in Ignacio to utilize, and that'll impact her classroom. I had no idea that it was going to impact the entire school. But what Molly has done through a lot of the professional development is that she's taking what she's learned. She's teaching those students the skills to utilize that equipment that was informed by industry on, hey, this is what you need to buy. This is what our students need to be trained on. And then she took it and said, what projects can we cross-curricularly do in order to support my entire school? And that was like mind blowing to me that this $75,000, it's not a small chunk of change, but that equipment then changed an entire school district and the access that they have, which is really exciting. Um, Chris, you raised your hand. I was going to keep going, but I'll let you, you know. I just wanted to call out uh, one of the exciting things that I'm looking forward to, and it's not really in play yet, is, is meaningful internships um, mm -hmm. with industry. So a uh, shout out to, um, you know, our partners in industry. I, I think that uh, that really appeals to me as a rural superintendent as well. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for that, Chris, because we do have, um, so yes, so we bring industry to the table in a variety of different ways through work-based learning internships that uh, students will be able to access. This fall, we launched Job Shadows um, within Building Trades. They are being launched this spring in the Environmental Pathway, where interested students are engaging with industry and half-day uh, events where they go out and they're trying on the career. So there's about three to four activities that are designed by industry and our pathways manager at the collaborative that are either hands-on or brains-on for students to actually engage in. Instead of that traditional, like when we were in school, your career day was that there was a panel and the industry sat on one side at the table and the students were in the audience, usually on their phones. And they talked about, right, like this is why you wanna go into my job. The students actually get to dig their hands or their minds on uh, into it. I'm talking a lot, Elena, I'm gonna kick it to you. And can you also just hit on a little bit our stakeholder engagement um, at every level with the school districts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I realized, you know, I talked a little bit in the beginning about just like the, oh, I just kind of built on with Jess of the overall structure, but I do want to dive into the pathway a little bit more and I'll start kind of with that infrastructure piece. Um, so we are all, we are also doing mobile, what we're calling mobile learning labs. Um, if any of you have really like, you know, existed in this region in the past two years, you've heard of like a supply chain issue. Um, and also that everyone is building a van to live out of. So our original concept was to buy a Ford Transit, multiple Ford Transits, convert them into what we were calling mobile learning labs so that we could have outdoor classrooms, you know, that were really um, building on those field excursion experiences. Um, I am happy to say that as of like this morning, so this podcast is very timely, our first Ford Transit is starting the outfitting process up in Arvada, Colorado. We are 
beyond excited. It has been a one plus year project just to, just to get this van. And we've actually decided to diversify our fleet. So we will have like a very heavy duty pickup truck. We will have that will tow a trailer that will also be a mobile learning lab. We will, um, we heard transportation was a real issue for equity and for access for our students. So we're just, we're buying a passenger van and then we'll have the Ford Transit. So we will have this very exciting fleet that not only will go out on the weekends for the excursions that we offer students, but it will also um, rotate between the districts in a really similar fashion that Chris was mentioning. And it will supplement um, existing curriculum for our teachers. Um, and our teachers, again, to Chris's point, have just been incredible. Like they deserve, you know, all the um, all the praise in the world. We have engaged pretty much the same, but it's grown group of teachers for the past two years now. So we started talking to them in spring of 2020, which um, just again, I keep referencing the pandemic, but I think I reached out to them in May of 2020. So just such a crazy time. They've really just been along for the ride and they've been um, incredible. And that group has only grown. And now they're this very strong community um, and they have a really strong community of practice. They meet um, pretty much every other week, if not monthly, and then they meet quarterly for in-person PD sessions that are now becoming overnight sessions. Like that is the level that they want to engage with, with, with each other, which is really exciting. Um, you know, and from the, um, you know, from a four-year institution perspective, we all, I just want to make sure I note that we are, are offering dual enrollment or concurrent enrollment courses. Um, and yes, like that is exciting in itself, but what I've been really impressed with with Fort Lewis College is their ability to adapt those courses to meet the needs of their students. So, for example, we have a global perspectives class that we've offered for the past two semesters and we'll be offering them in the fall. And we completely, you know, tweaked it so that it addresses, you know, environmental issues that we're seeing in Southwest Colorado. And then we tie that learning in with these weekend field trips. So it's just all very connected, which has been um, a really strong benefit of the collaborative. Um, and then I also just two more quick things. I don't want to take up too much time is the model of what we call the, um, the Environment and Climate Institute. It's a week-long summer institute. This will be our third year. Um, where we convene students from across the region. They stay at FLC's campus. Last year, we had almost 30 students participate and we're hoping for actually even more record-breaking numbers this year. So um, we're capping, we're having to cap it at 50 students that can stay overnight at Fort Lewis because, you know, small, small rural town, we only have so much capacity. Um, but what's really exciting is we're totally shaking up the model with our new environmental pathway manager and will be all community service based so students will actually go into the community and work on projects that have a correlation to um, the southwest landscape. So just a ton of exciting things we're really trying to scaffold something that is much bigger than just um, concurrent enrollment courses or it is just a summer institute we're trying to do it very holistically from the ground up. Um, and I, I think it's important to note, too, for those of you listening to the podcast that aren't as familiar with Southwest Colorado, is the incredible work that this collaborative has been able to do. So if you look on a map, Pagosa Springs, which is our farthest east um, school district, and then you have Silverton, which is our farthest north school district, it's 110 miles apart. And then you have Durango for all intents and purposes, like kind of in the middle of this L. Um, so just the fact that we're able to um, successfully engage all of these school districts has been, um, and everywhere in between has been really incredible. With mountain passes on either side. Oh, so not just yes. 110 miles, but yeah. like yes. mountain passes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Kirk and Michelle, 
then I, I would love to just talk about some core structures um, as well yeah. in, in here that, that help us be so successful early on with our early successes. So the first thing is, is I'm, I'm remiss that I haven't mentioned our two support partners sooner. They have been, so Empower Schools and Trendlines were with the original uh, leaders in this vision, along with Lyra, um, way before I even, get, before there was even a nonprofit and before I even came on uh, into the scene. And so those, um, three partners still continue to help support us. And that is why we are, are so successful with this initial work, right? Um, so Lyra is supporting specifically more the environmental pathway, but again, just going back to like understanding that vision of the MOU, just, just to give that concrete example, I am now currently in my third board chair because our board for the nonprofit holds three seats, three superintendent seats, and it makes sense for one of those superintendent seats to be the, uh, the chair of the board. And so because there was this turnover, right, there was definitely a lot of instability that could have really just destroyed the work that we were doing. And those MOUs just really helped us along that path. Um, but Empower and Trendlines still do our work. Empower's team supports us with understanding how to um, continue to grow this nonprofit organization. What does that look like? Um, and then Trendlines really helps support us with the work-based learning and connecting uh, industry into K-12 and higher ed. And how do we create a more linear CTE um, pathway for students to have stackable credentials for students to engage in industry certifications? So I just wanted to, to highlight them. Another piece that I think that we're getting right is the engagement of stakeholders at every level. And you heard Chris and Elena talk about our teachers. Um, we do PLCs, personal learning communities. For every single pathway, there is teachers from all school districts that represent that PLC. They receive professional development that they identify. So our building trades teachers have received over about 160 hours of professional development. And that's a really big deal in a rural area because it's a lot of professional development happens on the front range. It's expensive. Our school districts are not capable usually of affording that. And then if a, a teacher does go up to the front range for some of that professional development, there's pieces that are just not relevant because it's not focusing on the rural aspects of what's happening in our schools. So us creating these PLCs with teachers, like Chris talked about earlier, has really allowed them to engage in meaningful professional development that is relevant to their region. And then the collaborative the collaborative facilitates outside resources to bring in whenever needed. Um, however, we also engage stakeholders at every level. So a big piece is you can build the best stackable CTE pathway that you want, but if academic advising is not in place within schools, it's not going to go anywhere. And so we have a PLC of counselors where we help them understand what are the courses that students should be taking along the way if they're interested in this pathway, and how do we deal with the challenges of making sure that academic advising piece is individualized instead of this, this group effort. Um, we also have a PLC of principals. 
And then we have, as Chris mentioned, we have our steering committee and our steering committee sits with all of our superintendents in the region, higher ed representation and our CTE directors. And they are really the individuals that are receiving recommendations from their teachers, their counselors, their principals, taking all of that information, looking at the bigger picture of what is going to work, and then they make a recommendation to our board of directors when needed and or make decisions um, for how to execute out. So I really think that's very important from a collaborative standpoint that rarely am I as the executive director of this nonprofit making unilateral decisions. Actually, it's not even rarely, never. There is this huge engagement across all districts where we're building consensus on how to move forward. And then just the last piece that I want to talk about is this um, term pathway. And so pathway is a vocab word, if you will, that means uh, many different things across many different higher ed in, or uh, education institutions, different in higher ed, different in K-12. For us, when we talk about a pathway, it encompasses all of the pieces that we're talking about today. So yes, there is courses, CTE courses that are happening in the schools, as well as concurrent enrollment courses and dual enrollment courses. They, it also aligns with industry certifications, but that's just one small piece of our pathway. We are also looking at what are all of the career and connected activities that go along that pathway so students really know that, hey, this is what I'm really interested in doing in the future. And so those job shadows, those internships, the summer programs, the equipment, so industry is advising, hey, this is what these students need. All of those pieces really encompass our pathway when we talk about pathway. Yeah. Wow. What a, what incredible work you guys are doing. Thank you so much for sharing it. I think uh, my question is really just around uh, where you guys see the vision of the future for the collaborative directions. I know Chris talked a little bit about some new pathways that seem very high demand for lots of our rural areas. Um, talk to us a little bit more about the vision that you have for the collaborative and where you see it going. So I can talk about it, but Chris, I almost want to kick it to you <laughs> and like have you talk about it, right? Because you and I sit down, Chris and I talk a lot as a, a, a about what this looks like. And so I think you have a good grasp on it. Maybe all three of us can talk about it, but I'd almost like to go last. Well, you know, it's, these things are always funny to me. I Typically my strategy is, if it's a good idea and someone has the energy that you just have to be smart enough to jump on the coattails and get drug along. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think looking ahead, what I, what I would perceive is increased pathways and meaningful pathways uh, that see kind of a regional alignment mm -hmm. around those pathways mm -hmm. so that the, the whole county or both counties as, as and, and maybe eventually three counties um, really produce kids that are ready um, for careers, uh, whether they're CTE careers or whether they're going into college or university. Um, so it's, it's the collaboration piece that kind of will knit us together, I think, as we move forward. 
Um, but for right now, there, there is a little bit of leap of faith, and I think we have to acknowledge that. Um, and, and it takes buy-in from a lot of different people. So uh, it's just keeping the right people in there and keeping that energy going as we move forward. But I would anticipate increased pathways and increased collaboration um, across the board. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll build off of what Chris said, and I totally agree. I think it's finding, striking this balance between expanding um, as it relates to school districts um, and bringing more students on um, as it relates to building out new pathways, but doing so in a really um, meaningful sense and making sure that we're not just expanding to expand. And I don't think we are. And I think that, you know, under Jess's leadership, like that is, it is, there's been, that balance has been achieved, which is really impressive. Um, and I think the only piece that I forgot to hit on earlier is just really the, the equity point. So making sure that we are really engaging students that are representative of the communities that we serve. Um, and that is sometimes, you know, not as easy said as done, right? Like it can be, you, it can be hard to engage students who don't necessarily see themselves as a part of the pathway. And so I think that's really a mission, um, <clears throat> you know, not only of the collaborative, but of Fort Lewis College, right? It's just working to prepare those, you know, to prepare all students. Um, and then just to give like one small example of how we're doing that, because I think it's good to put this into practice is we are using some of our grant funding to purchase um, laptops and hotspots for students who want to participate but don't have access to internet or computers at home. So just like a small example of how I think the collaborative and the pathways are, um, what's the phrase, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk, I'm, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and then um, the last thing I'll add is what we've had to do for the past year, two years, three years at every stage of development is be adaptable. So what we say right now, it, we might find in a year that expanding to every school district that we wanted to isn't feasible like at that moment. And that's okay because it's at the end of the day, we're always doing what is best for students. And you know that trickles to doing what's best for teachers and what's best for principals and superintendents and the whole region. And so I just think that that our ability to be nimble and flexible um, will you know continue to benefit us for the long run. Yeah, thank you for the those points, Elena. I so some of the brass tacks, Kirk, Kirk, of where we currently are, and then some pieces to build off of what uh, Lena was talking about. We have, we are in the stages of expanding into two new pathways, um, health sciences and education. How we are building that out is that we have pathways task force teams that represent, uh, have a representative from each school district and higher ed partner to build out what the pathway would look like and bring that to steering in order to um, discuss and how we want to move forward, right? So not me in a in my office saying this is what it's going to look like, but really having our staff facilitate um, those conversations with our partners in order to see what a good approach is. We are also engaging in conversations with um, Cortez, Mancus, Dolores, and Dove Creek about joining the uh, collaborative. Um, they have been doing some phenomenal work in their region as well. Um, PCC has done a strong um, support down there with helping them align all their schedules to a four day uh, schedule. And then looking at Fridays to do, I, I think they're calling it Friday school. 
um, where they will be offering opportunities for students to engage in on Fridays when students are not in school um, through their their community college, which is fantastic, right? And so I think that's an, another piece that's really exciting is, is that there is additional things that happen within this region that may not be specifically the collaborative focus, but then we help support when we can within those pieces. Um, I think the piece that I wanted to hit on with Elena is, uh, focusing on what we call students furthest from opportunities. So we know within each one of our school districts, um, students that are not accessing as many as opportunities as others looks different depending on the school district. Mm -hmm. And so a big focus for the collaborative overall is to make sure that we're not competing with resources that are already in this region. And that actually happens a lot in rural communities is that there's actually already organizations here that are doing work. And then other organizations come in and say, hey, we're doing this. And it's like, well, wait, we were already here and existing and doing it. And then people compete for funding. So that's not going to help our region at all. And so we are very intentional about collaborating with existing organizations already to help supplement the work instead of subplant. And so a very specific example of that is we work with TRIO Talent Search and TRIO Upward Bound, the federal government organizations that support low-income and first-gen students to graduate high school and go to college. We combine forces with them and we provide them professional development on academic advising. They provide us with access to their students to make sure that they can uh, engage in the pathways in an, in an appropriate way. Um, we also work with our our um, tribal agencies. So the Southern Ute Tribe is one of our partners. Um, they hold currently a board seat for the collaborative and we work with them very closely as well to ask what their specific students need um, within their, their region, right? And so those are those areas where we're able to also access and support students furthest from opportunities in, in all areas. So thanks for that, everyone. You guys have done a phenomenal job of summarizing all of the work. And we can tell through this conversation that there has been a ton of work involved in getting this off the ground. So to wrap us up, Chris, would you just give us, um, from your perspective, what advice would you have for school leaders that are looking to um, start this kind of um, partnership, a collaborative, engaging in some of this work? It just seems like a lot of it can be so overwhelming because there are so many different pieces and parts to this. What, what advice would you have for leaders? Um, well, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, you know, here in education, we all openly admit that the first thing we should do is steal from people who already have something going on that seems to be working well. Uh, so I, I think reach out to, to Jessica and her crew would, is a great place to start. And the other piece is also a no-brainer. It's, it's having people that are excited about the work and making sure that that the you sell that why about why this might be important for our region, um, and I think those things really uh, the the why is easy if the product is a good one and we're preparing kids for the future in a more meaningful way across entire regions. Um, so those would be the two things that I would suggest. Thank you for asking. 
Great. Well, thank you all so much for being part of Redefining Rural. We really appreciate hearing about the great work that is going on in the Southwest region. So thank you so much. And definitely to our listeners, if you have any questions, please reach out to them to, to hear more about the work that they're doing. Um, so thank you all for joining us on Redefining Rural. Thank you so much.